Wow. So good to be with you guys today. And uh, I, I just sense with you just the marvelous presence of the Lord. Amen? Wow. And, you know, if you were here last Sunday, God really showed up. And uh, He's just gracing us more and more and more with His presence. And I don't know what He's going to do today, but I know He's here. And uh, He's already got our heart's affection. So I don't know what you need today, but this is a good day to ask for it. Because the power of the Lord is present. And when it's present and you ask, things happen. So may the Lord give you faith for that, whatever that need is in your life. And may you just open up your heart to receive today. Some of you just need to receive. And uh, you just need to be like a child in God's presence and say, Father, I, I just receive everything you have for me. And, and I know the Lord's going to do something in some of you that has never been done before. Yeah, I love this environment. I love uh, worshiping together. love what God is doing. And it's just getting contagious. And we're hungering for more, right? We're hungering for more. And we're going to get more. In two weeks, David Hearn's going to be in the house. How many of you remember David Hearn? Yeah. David, our president, overseeing the churches of Canada, the Alliance. He is a great leader, and he's got an amazing heart for God and an amazing speaker. You don't want to miss this. In two Sundays from now, May 14th, make sure you don't miss that because God's going to speak to us prophetically and powerfully through our national leader. And he is going all over the world with his message of renewal. And it's already landed in our hearts. And uh, we look forward to him being with us in just 14 days. And I want to welcome any of you who are new with us. You've been tracking maybe since Easter with us. We're glad that you're here. And I'm glad that you're part of this series that we're in called The Pursuit. And uh, we started it last Sunday, and I, I trust it's going to be a series that will inspire us, encourage us, and build up our faith and challenge us so that we end up pursuing God, chasing after Him with all of our hearts. Uh, and in the pursuit, we're looking at the life story of one of the great leaders of the Bible, probably one of the most famous people of all, King David in the Old Testament. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And uh, last week, we started by looking at the life of David. At age 15, he was chosen, called, and qualified to be the next king of Israel. And if you weren't here last week, you may want to watch the message or listen to it online. Uh, many people got blessed uh, last Sunday as we, as we spent that time in chapter 16. And by the way, if you're looking ahead in this series for next Sunday, you can read 1 Samuel chapter 20, the story of David and Jonathan. You'll come prepared for that. That'll be awesome. We saw last week that the prophet Samuel comes to Jesse's house to anoint the next king of Israel. Jesse has seven of his sons pass by in front of Samuel. None of them are chosen to be king. And then they go and get David in from the field. He's the eighth son. And the Lord says to Samuel, arise and anoint him. He's the one. Samuel gets up and pours that flask of anointing oil on David and it just drenches him. And it's the outward sign that he has been chosen of God and called and anointed and set apart for a royal destiny. And uh, I love this series on David because it's, it's something that we get to look at that encourages our hearts because we also are called, we are chosen, and we are qualified to live as sons and daughters in royalty. We are the royal members of his family. And we're going to see that in the life of David, how we can live this great pursuit as we chase after God. So over the next couple months, we're going to engage in this. And here's what I want you to kind of grab a hold of today. It comes down to this. God makes me brave 
and victorious in the battle against all fear. Now, I know that many of us struggle with fear, and we're going we're gonna to see the giant of fear slain today. In fact, that's not the only giant who's going down this morning. There's going to be all kinds of intimidating powers that are going to be under our feet by the end of this message. Amen? Because we are above the enemy. And in Jesus Christ, we always win, right? We always win in Jesus Christ. If our eyes are upon him, we can face anything and overcome it. So God does make us brave. And he does enable us to be victorious every time against any fear. Maybe you've heard this little nursery rhyme. It goes like this, fee-fi-fo-fum, I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he he alive or be he dead, I will grind his bones to make my bread. Sounds kind of gross, doesn't it? (laughs) I remember those taunting words from the Jack and the Beanstalk nursery rhyme, and as a little kid seeing those pictures, I was always afraid of giants. And uh, cultures change, though. Have you noticed that today's giants in kids' movies and stories are kind of nice? They're not just friendly, but they're kind of cool. And uh, gone are the days of the evil giants. And I think that's perhaps because the writers of kids' stories now think there's too much fear in the world. We don't need more fear. Let's make all the giants nice. But in real life, the spiritual giants that we face are anything but nice. I have giants that show up in my life and try to intimidate me and try to make me cower in fear, and they whisper things like, no one's going to listen to you. God's not going to show up in power today at the 11 a.m. service on April 30th. Or you're not as smart and as talented as you think you are. Well, that's actually true. (laughs) Or this one, everybody's against you. You ever hear that voice? Everybody's against you. I could go on, but you get the point. Giants whisper their taunting intimidations into our ears, and we have to be alert to that and deal with them. And today, the giant of fear will be no more if you want it gone from your life. You can absolutely walk out of here with no fear in your life over anything through what Jesus will do inside of you today. Yeah, that's good. So how do we get there? How can we be fearless in the face of these giants? How can I live in faith in such a way that I don't be scared about anything at all? Well, in this series, we see this skinny little kid with a slingshot named David, empowered by the Lord God, and he is fearless. Now, I know many of you have heard this story before from the Bible. It's so familiar to you. You got it in in, uh, Sunday school, and and you got it in camp, and you got it in youth group, and you got it in home group, and all that, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm so familiar with the story. Can I remind you about something? Listen up. It really happened. There really was a 15-year-old kid named David, and he faced an actual giant, and he took it down. And God said, I want that in my book. I want people to remember this, and I want them to find how they can have victory in my protection when they walk like David does. So today we're going to see how we can do that. Listen up, sit up, lean in, because we're going to find out how God will make us brave and victorious in our battle against fear. And just before we get into chapter 17, I've heard this that uh, apparently there's, there's only two fears that we are born with, two natural fears from people who study fear. Wouldn't that be an interesting discipline? And they said this, that the natural fears we're, that we're born with uh, are this. We are afraid of falling, 
and we're afraid of sudden loud noises. Now, of course, you know this if you have children, right? If you come up to your child in the crib and you kind of bang it like that and they kind of go like that, none of you have ever done that, right? (laughs) Just to see your little son or daughter stretch out their arms. Sudden noises, right? Fear of falling is another one. Guess what? All other fears are learned. All of them. All the things that we battle with that we're fearful of. We learn to be fearful of them. In fact, most of our fears are unfounded in reality. They never really amount to much. And there are in the Bible apparently 365 commands from the Lord when he says, do not fear. Did you get that? Do not fear. Why would God say that so much more than any other command? I think it's because we tend to get fearful. And when we're fearful, we take our eyes off God. And when we can't see God, we get all filled up with terror and panic and we make unwise decisions. And we live in the shackles and the, and the incarceration of a giant that has captured our lives. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and a sound mind. So if you're battling with fear today, if I'm battling with fear, it's not from God. Now, of course, there's a healthy kind of fear. That's towards God. That's when we revere and honor him and we're in awe of him. But that fear draws us to him, not away from him. Fear should not be in our life. It should have no place in your personal experience. You don't have to give in to it. You don't have to allow fear to dominate your thinking or your decision-making. And here's what's going to help you to figure that out. The size of your God determines the size of your giants. That's a quote from Scott Weatherford, a friend of mine. The size of your God will determine the size of your giants. If your God is huge and powerful and almighty, the giants that you face will seem like dwarfs. However, if you don't really believe that God is powerful in the here and now, and you're not walking with him in that power, you're going to be greatly intimidated by forces that will oppose you and try to make you stop where you're going. So we're in the chapter 17 here in the pursuit. We're looking at David facing uh, the giant Goliath. And I want to pick up the reading here. Oh, let's start somewhere around verse number 4. It says, A champion named Goliath who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. I I think that as we begin this journey into the life of David as he faces the giant here, we have to realize that, that, that David was not really prepared for this battle in the sense of military training. David wasn't even in the army. His brothers were. And uh, he's sent out to bring some food to them. His dad, Jesse, says, take some, some stuff, some supplies out there, and, and then come back. But David is intrigued by this giant in the Valley of Elah. And so we pick it up again in verse number 23. 
where we see some things that are actually going on here in this story. As he was talk, uh, talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David shows up on the scene. He's not supposed to be there at the battle lines. supposed to drop off the food for his brothers. And he sees this giant in the valley of Elah taunting all the armies of Israel. And he's like, who is that guy? And someone says, well, there's a reward for anybody who kills him. You get some money and you get tax exemption and you get the king's daughter, Michelle. Well, she wasn't really a great win. You'll find that out later in David's life. You know, kind of a giveaway daughter. Yeah, please, someone take this one, you know. She wasn't really a winner, and she didn't turn out to be a great wife for David. But he's interested. He's interested because, not just because of the rewards, but he's thinking, how can someone speak about the God of Israel like that giant? Somebody's got to do something about this. It is not acceptable for the people of God to live with giants in front of them. Amen? Same with us as a church. We will not let any giant intimidate us. Amen? Amen? We have a destiny to fulfill. We're going there. Nothing will stop us. Because through Jesus, we will take down every intimidating force that's in our way. So I thought I'd describe for you a little bit what Goliath is like. You, you heard the words that describe him there. Uh, he's this really massive, massive person. And... Uh, if you understand what cubits are, you know that he's actually nine feet, nine inches tall. That's pretty tall. I'm thinking the Raptors need to call him as they go into round two against the Cavaliers um, and LeBron James. But anyways, that's off topic. So, um, so Goliath is very intimidating. He's got a big sword, and that sword he has used to cut people in half probably with one swoop. Probably lost count those days how many soldiers were killed at the hand of Goliath. Here's some other things about him. We know this. He had 200 pounds of body armor on him with the chainmail tunic. 200 pounds of armor on him. He's got to be big enough to handle that and move around, right? So how much does Goliath weigh? I'm thinking 400 pounds, 500 pounds, 600 pounds. He's massive. His, his shaft of his spear is probably five pounds. The tip of his spear, note this, is 20 pounds. So as he's you know, throwing his spear out, 20 pounds is on the end. It'll go through absolutely anything. And I, you know, I've been thinking about this guy like, uh, what does a giant like Goliath eat? <laughs> like, you know, when, they, when they have, the soldiers have their mess, right? The mess hall, right? And, and they're in their tents, and Goliath gets his own tent, right? Uh, so what does he eat? I'm thinking goats, literally. You know, a goat in the morning for breakfast, a goat for lunch, a goat in the evening, rabbits for snacks in between, 40 pounds of baklava, 
30 pounds of cheese, Philistine cheese. And then, like, who's going to go up to Goliath at night and remind him to brush his teeth? Nobody. So he's got bad breath. He probably doesn't even take showers. I mean, who's going to point that out to him? And, uh, you know, if, if he had a car, he would have to have a sunroof because there would be like three feet of him sticking up. And he'd be, you'd always see Goliath. There's Goliath heading downtown. I think he is kind of a cross between Vin Diesel and Andre the Giant, if you remember those guys at all, right? I think he's kind of a blend of them. and Really, really, really scary. Very, very intimidating. How does a giant show up in our text? Well, there's maybe a, a good explanation for that. If you've looked at Genesis chapter 6, here's a theory I'll present to you. It's not doctrine. So everybody online know it's not doctrine, it's theory. Uh, that he's a Nephilim. A Nephilim uh, it happened when the sons of God, that is the angels of God who fell, fallen angels cohabitated with women and produced offspring. Half, women, or half man, half angel. Possibly. Theory. And that might explain why when the spies went into the promised land, they saw these giant people there. It might be they were all descendants of the Nephilim. So you can think about that. Everybody is intimidated, though, by this giant named Goliath. He's a killing machine. You know, when, when the battle's really intense, they just bring out their ultimate weapon, Goliath, and he stomps out, you know, who's going to fight me, right? And there he is in the Valley of Elah, which is kind of like a mixed martial arts cage, right? They're all in there together, and David comes forward to the battle lines. The idea is that whoever wins this battle wins the war, and the other side will become servants to the victor. Now, all giants look scary, right? And their method of operation, guess what, is to intimidate you, to make you fearful, to make you hesitate in the will of God. Spiritual giants are those ugly things in our lives that prevent us from moving forward. Things in our lives that are scary to deal with. And if you don't know this, you might as well hear it now. We really do have an enemy who wants to intimidate us. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of, evils, uh, rulers of evil in the heavenly realms. Jesus put it another way. He said, the devil comes to steal and kill and destroy. There really is a devil. There really are demonic forces. And they puff themselves up. Oh man, do they try to scare us. They try to intimidate us and show us that they know what they're doing and they don't. The scriptures say that in Christ we are above them. And they are below us, but they try to deceive us and make, make themselves look really strong. And yet in Jesus, we can, with a word pronounced over them, we can cut them off in our lives and deal with them forever. So I just want you to know there is a battle going on in your life. It's a battle for territory in your soul. The Apostle Peter put it this way. He said, be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I think he's been looking at some of you this week, trying to scheme how he can take you down, intimidate you, back you into a corner, make you uh, feel like you have to make a bad decision because you gave in to fear. Giants try to take us captive. 
And let's just talk for a moment about the symptoms of fear that sometimes show up in our lives. There's anxiety, there's aggression, and there's abdication. Anxiety is, uh, the root of it is fear, of course. But anxiety is that extreme mental or emotional disposition in which we are struck with terror. Uh, Panic attacks can happen when a person has this. Uh, There were people in the church at Philippi who were no doubt battling this this experience, and some of them were former Roman soldiers, and they were living there like a little colony, and uh, now they're followers of Jesus, and and their allegiance is to Christ, not to Caesar, and and they were living with quite a bit of fear in their lives. So Paul writes to them in Philippians 4 at verse 6, and he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's saying that anxiety flares up in the heart and in the mind. And if you're here today and you've been stricken with anxiety, I want to say to you, there is a solution for you. It is the peace of God that comes to us through the Holy Spirit. The peace of God that surpasses all human comprehension. It can come into your life and settle you down as you deal with the root of fear in your life. David in Psalm 139 wrote this, God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. He knew that anxiety could have no place in his life. I've battled through anxiety in my life. I had a real big battle with it 17 years ago here in this church and hit a wall of exhaustion. And at that moment in my life, I had panic attacks and, and uh all kinds of symptoms going on in my life, and the root of it was fear. I grew up in a home where one of my parents couldn't give me the legitimate needs that every child needs, and, uh, and I struggled with a hole in my heart that was huge, and I compensated for that with hard work and trying to prove myself, and that resulted in my margins getting thin, and finally anxiety and panic attacks took over my life 17 years ago. I had to hit a wall that made me stop. And finally, God, de- God dealt with me at the deepest part of my being. Led me on a healing journey where I could actually look at the root of that. What caused it? And so with, with prayer and, and God's presence and some wise counselors, God healed that root in my life and the anxiety left was broken over me. That's not the only thing that we can face though. We can also struggle with aggression. This is when we get all pumped up and driven and hyper and we overact. We try too hard. Does that ring a bell with some of you? You try so hard to prove that you can do it. I went through that experience as well back in Bible college days. I went there with a, with a passion to know God's word, but I also had some other fuel in me at that time, a passion to prove myself to people. And so I would stay up late burning the midnight oil. I had to get A's or A-pluses on every paper. I, mean, I graduated with high honors, and I missed highest honors by one paper being late, and it ticked me off. And then God exposed that root in my life. And he said, who do you think you're impressing? Who cares if you get a B plus or a C? What are you doing this for? And that made me search the motives of my heart and I realized I was on the wrong fuel system. I was trying to perform my way into affirmation and that never works. Then there's abdication. This is when we become passive and detached. We avoid conflict. And lots of people struggle with this. They're passive in their marriages. 
So there's something there to solve with them and their spouse, but they'll never bring it up. Why? Because they're afraid. There's fear in their life. They don't know how to deal with conflict. And then they are passive in their jobs. There are people who are struggling in their careers even right now, and they're not being treated well at work. They're being slandered. They're being pressured. And they don't stand up for themselves. They don't address those situations. Why? Because of fear. The root of fear is significant in people's lives. No wonder God says over and over and over again, do not fear. Don't be afraid. I think he's saying, let me handle this for you. Let's look at all the things that are coming at your life and let's deal with them all so that fear does not grip you. People are paralyzed by fear. The fear of losing, the fear of winning, the fear of being rejected, the fear of being poor, the fear of not having children, the fear of having children, the fear of retirement, the fear of aging, the fear of your parents, the fear of your spouse, the fear of fear. (laughs) Sometimes we can just get all excited and, and kind of panicky about fear. And a lot of people just get really, really struck with fear in dealing with people. The Bible says the fear of man is a snare. It'll capture us. It'll paralyze us and keep us incarcerated. Now here's the thing about giants. They're relentless until they're dead. They're not going to go away. So if you're facing one today and you think, if I can just make it through another week, this giant of fear will disappear. No, it won't. No, it won't. It's going to come back after you again. That's why we have to embrace the reality that God will make us brave and victorious in the battle against all fear. Okay, let's look at the battle that David was facing here and and try to get some insight into our hearts from it. First of all, as you're dealing with a giant, you have to face it. And that's exactly what David does here. David goes out and he faces the giant. Verse 32, he says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. In other words, I'll go. I don't care if no one else goes. I don't care if my brothers don't go and they're here in the army. I don't care if the king goes. I will go and I will fight the giant that is in front of us. I love that heart in David. And he faces Goliath head on. You know, he doesn't go with a troop in front of him. He doesn't, he doesn't stand out there with a whole bunch of battle gear. He just goes out there as a shepherd boy. Friends, we will never face the giants in our life until we understand that God is bigger than them. We've got to see that first. David knew that. David knew that. And so look at chapter 17 at verse 34. He tells his own story there. David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Can you imagine that? This is a 15-year-old boy out on the slopes of Judea. With his own hands, he's killing bears and lions. Verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David is saying, this is not complicated. I have already fought battles 
that were beyond me. I have already faced the enemy when he's come to me in different forms. I will face him again, and I will defeat him, because God will give me the victory. David knew that at 15, and he steps forward, no other man with him, and he faces that intimidating giant. Maybe he's thinking to himself, no risk, no reward. And maybe he was thinking for a, mind, for, for a moment in his mind of that reward that was promised. You know, I get some money, I get, I get the king's daughter, I get tax exemption. But I think it was a greater motive in his heart than that. I think he was motivated by the glory of God. And so he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is not going to happen. This is not going to go any, any, any further I'm putting a stop to it, and I'm 15 years of age. <laughs> you got to love it. got to face the giants. And we got to know this, that there is a reward for destroying them. The reward is your freedom. The reward is deliverance. The reward is peace in your life. The, the reward is relational unity in your marriage or in your work or in your family. And there's ultimately the reward of bringing glory to God. Can you imagine God fighting a battle through you? That's the message of this story. It's not just about David, it's about God. So David pursues this with all of his heart. I think he could say, God makes me brave and victorious in the battle against all fear. But you know what? As soon as you decide to face a giant, guess what's going to happen to you? Some people are going to come up to you and try to talk you out of it. They're going to say, you don't have to get so radical. You don't have to deal with those issues in your life. I like you the way you are. David had his own brother, Eliab, kind of come up to him and say, what are you doing out here? You should be back home. Verse 28. But he wouldn't budge. And I think for us, we have to stand our ground at some point, right? Let me say, say to you personally, you got to stand your ground and face your giant. No one else will do that for you. you got to face it. And you don't have to put it off anymore and delay it. Today is the day that you kill the giant in your life. Amen? Today. It gets slain. It gets removed from you. God asks us to face those giants head on, just like David did. So David told Saul, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go and fight him. Now here's the thing about facing giants. Somebody else's armor is not going to do the job for you. Right? David's getting ready for facing the giant. They think, well, you've got to put some protection over him. So they put the king's armor over him, Saul's armor. It's too big. It's too bulky. He finally takes it off. And he goes as a shepherd boy to the front lines of battle. Remember that part of the story when your sons and daughters are at that age where they must stand on their own. Now hear me on this. I'm not talking about age 21. I'm talking about those sons and daughters that are in the room who are like 14, 15, 16, 17 years of age. And up to this point in your life as a parent, you've been doing the right thing. You've been protecting them and standing in front of them and shielding them from all of the attacks of the enemy. Guess what? There comes a point in their journey with Jesus in which you need to move from the front to the side of them and say, I'm still with you, but now it's your turn. And it's your moment. 
You got to put on your own armor. Hear me, teenagers. You got to put on your own armor. Don't wait for your parents' armor to be covering you. It's not going to fit. It works for a while until you, you're ready to face this on your own. And I think sometimes as parents, we make the mistake thinking, oh, they're not ready for this. They're still really young. You know what? They're probably more ready than you realize. The scriptural example of David is he was 15, and he was ready to face an intimidating battle. I remember I had to, I had to have these talks with my sons when they turned about 16, took them out, each of them, for a time, and Talked to him and said, you know what? I've been in front of you your whole life. I've been deflecting the enemy's attacks from you my whole life. Guess what? I am now moving to your side. And I'm with you nonetheless. But you've got to fight your battles. You've got to face the enemy yourself. I'll pray for you. I'm here for you. I'll coach you. I'll support you. But it is now time for you to rise up and be a warrior. You see, what we're doing in raising children is we're training men and women for battle. Training young women for battle. Training young men for battle. Why? So they can be victorious. So that they can win all the battles that the Lord calls them to win for his glory. So help them get their own armor. Show them in the Bible where it's located in Ephesians 6. Pray it over them with them. And then say to them, next time you pray it on yourself and you step forward. And you stand up in your school. You stand up in your friend group. You stand up in in your situation and you declare God's truth. We have warriors. They're coming up. They're going to be amazing world changers, these young men and women of our church. They know that God makes us brave and victorious in battle against all fear. So you've got to face your giant. Secondly, you have to fight it. And David does something really unusual here. I don't know if you noticed it. But he doesn't go and get a, a, a weapon like a sword. He goes and gets five smooth stones. Right? He's got a slingshot. Goes down to the riverbed, gets five smooth stones. He only needed one stone. That's what we find out in the story. One stone takes Goliath down. Why would David choose five stones? Well, I think it's perhaps because of the fact that Goliath had brothers. And it tells us that in 2 Samuel chapter 21. There's a couple of names that are mentioned there. They're the descendants of Rapha. So there's other giants in the land. In fact, four giants are mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 21. So maybe David is thinking, I'll take this one down and I'll take the other four out too. Or maybe it's just a prophetic thing. Maybe David, because he's anointed by the Spirit of God, as he's bending over, he goes, one for Goliath, and I don't know who this one's for, 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 but I'm ready. David may have been making a prophetic statement. He was filled with the Spirit of God. Let's pick up the the fight here in verse number 41, chapter 17. It says, Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bare in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. That is so intimidating, isn't it? It's like the giants in our own lives. They try to scare us. You can't get victory here. 
You're dead. I'm taking you out. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. I love this. David is operating in the highest level of faith that you can operate in. He's operating in certainty. He's operating in certainty. He's not thinking, oh God, here I go. I think you're going to help me out. No, he just, he just believes it. He just says it's going to happen. It's got to happen. It's happened before. It'll happen again. And he engages the giant face to face. You cannot deal with giants in your life passively. You must fight them. They won't go away because you ignore them. And you'll never really feel ready enough to battle them unless you are completely sold out to Jesus Christ. Completely. If we hold back anything, we're going to come to the battle lines and we're going to be stricken with fear. We're going to go, I can't do this. I'm going to just pull back. This is too intense for me. What was David's secret weapon? I suggest to you that his secret weapon was not his sling, even though he was probably pretty good at it. I think his secret weapon is noticed in the words he says in verse 47. He says, for the battle is the Lord's. Amen? The battle is the Lord's. He's saying, I'm involved in this thing. I'm out here on the front lines. I've got my sling. I'm starting to swing it. But I know I can't take this giant down myself. So in the name of God, here we go. The battle is the Lord's. I can be fearless and brave because the battle is won by my God, not by me. So say it over yourself. The battle is the Lord's. He enables you to be victorious in Christ Jesus. Paul the Apostle says that around the end of Romans chapter 7. Thanks be to God, he says, who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are more than conquerors, he says in Romans 8. More than conquerors. I mean, we're like super conquerors in terms of the kingdom of God. David steps forward. And in chapter 17, at verse 49, we see it all come to pass. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Wow, that has got to be a supernatural act of God. You know how we know that? Because Goliath's skull would have been about two inches thick. Right? He had a big, massive head. David shoots that rock and it, it goes to the one place. God guided it all the way. It goes to that one place strategic place 
where the Philistine was vulnerable. And it sinks, literally, into his forehead. Do you know how fast that rock would have to go to do that? That's a supernatural weapon unleashed through the hands of David. We've got to know something, friends. As we are on this journey of pursuing God, we have to know that we also are given weapons to fight with. And they're not weak. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, verse 3, rather, it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. All right, so what do you need taken down in your life? What area of your soul needs to be liberated? Is it fear? Is it something that you carry in the area of shame? Is it, is it living in a, in a hazy fog of, of defeat and discouragement? What is it that you're facing in your life that is so scary that unless God sets you free, you're never going to get free? I want to tell you this today. Today it ends. Today it ends through Jesus Christ. Every giant will fall to the ground at the end of this service that came in with us today. Every single intimidating foe will be cut off as we face this in the name of Jesus. You're a dangerous weapon against the enemy. So you gotta face them, you gotta fight them, and then you gotta finish them. And you know, I love this picture of David here from Caravaggio, one of my favorite pre-Renaissance artists who kind of depicts it in a special way. Here's David you know, kind of with his spoils of the battle. He's got Goliath's sword, and he's got his head. And it tells us that in the Bible. He went and cut his head off. Look at, look at the verses there, verse 51. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran, and it says they ran all the way back to their headquarters at Ekron. I love that. So David's walking around, and he's saying, hey, guys, I not only get, you know, the king's daughter, I not only get wealth and tax exemption, but look at this head I got. <laughs> I defeated Goliath today, but the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. It's not by our might. It's not by our power. We are very much involved in the whole deal. It was David's arm that slung the sling, and released the rock, but he knew the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. It's not about me. It's about him. And he wins. And he wins big. God makes you brave and victorious in the battle against all fear. So friend, I close with this. It is time for us to kill all the giants in our lives once for all. Amen? And any giant in this church is being slain today through the power of Jesus' name. I invite our worship team to come up because we are on the winning side. The Lord is fighting for us. The Lord is powerful. The Lord knows what we need and he calls us to the front lines of battle saying, I want you to name these giants. I want you to call them out. I want you to give them over to me and I want you to cut them off your life through the power of my presence and I will liberate you today. God is so amazing, and he makes us brave and victorious in the battle against all fear.
all fear. And we can celebrate that. Let's stand together. I said at the beginning of this message that today is a day of victory. And I mean it. And we're going to declare that in this song. I want you to stay as long as you can. Take this full song in. It's something that we wanted sung today in a special way. It's a special moment for us. Because God really does make us brave. And while we're singing this song, if you just want to declare in a special way that you are trusting God for victory in your life in some new way, I want you to come up to the front here and just stand here. You don't have to talk to anyone. We'll just bless you, put our hand on you, and pray for God's presence to strengthen you as you face whatever you need to face, but you're declaring victory over your life today. So as God speaks to you, as we sing this song, I want to encourage you to respond to him. Mm -hmm.